I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Hello all, and welcome to another Trinity Talk. This time around, our Numenite Gabe will be discussing the mystery of the Eucharist. This is a topic close to the heart of the Catholic Church, as well as much debated in wider society. Even many who consider themselves practicing Catholics struggle with the notion of transubstantiation. And with that, let us sit back and enjoy what Gabe has put together for us. Um, first of all, I'd just like to, well, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of you know me. My name is Gabe. <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> um, uh, and just, I wanted to thank a few people before we get started um, to my house, Father Jerry, for helping me uh, helping me formulate this talk and for putting this on. For Sam and Abby for filming, and um, Ashley who helped me with uh, PowerPoint, and to Adriana who helped us cook. So thank you all for coming as well. Um, so the talk is titled "The Mystery of the Eucharist," and I thought it fitting to begin the story, begin the talk with a story on the Eucharist. So for hundreds of years, Christians have been martyred in China, and since the first Jesuit missionaries arrived in China, Christians have been put to death for proclaiming Jesus Christ. But there is one Chinese martyr whose life and death may have inspired millions to convert. Under the Chinese communist regime, Chinese soldiers were ordered to destroy Catholic churches across the country. They took tabernacles and sacred vessels and imprisoned Catholic priests. Um, there, was one there was one small girl in the Chinese countryside that was raided and destroyed. There was one, sorry, there was one church in the Chinese countryside that was raided and destroyed while a small girl hid in the back watching quietly. She watched the priests be arrested as the tabernacle was torn away and as the sacred hosts were strewn across the floor. The girl noticed where the hosts landed and noticed that the soldiers neglected to pick up these sacred hosts. She went back to her home that afternoon and told her parents what she had seen. Later that night, she slipped past the guards and police officers back into the church. She knelt before the discarded hosts and spent an hour in adoration. After she had spent time in prayer, she consumed one of the hosts and secretly made her way back home. A total of 32 hosts had been strewn across the church floor. And for 32 consecutive nights, the young girl snuck back into the church. And after spending time in adoration, she consumed each Holy Eucharist one by one. On the last night, after she had received the Eucharist, the final time, she unintentionally woke a sleeping guard. When he awoke, he chased her down and beat her to death. The parish priest could only watch through his window as he was under house arrest as she became a martyr for the Eucharist. So we can have a minute of silence just to think about that. And so I'd like to leave you with the question of what can we learn from this story? So this young girl, 
shows us an example of a beautiful and childlike love for Christ. And I remember getting emotional when first hearing the story. I wondered, how is it that I struggle to believe and treat the Eucharist so nonchalant, yet this young girl died for it? Now, to be clear, as Father Jerry pointed out, it would, it would have been more practical if she had taken the sacred host into a safe place, away from harm. However, the girl's methodology is not the point, but that she risked her life for Christ, demonstrating a simple yet immense love for him in the Eucharist. Hearing it was one of the turning points in my faith and my belief in Christ's presence in the Eucharist. So I think it's appropriate to give you a little background about myself and why this topic is so important to me. I grew up here on the Central Coast, and as many of you know, my parents met at the Newman Center over 30 years ago. <laughs> they had four kids, with me being the youngest. My parents even nicknamed me the twins because dealing with me was like having twins. So I definitely lived up to that youngest title. Um, <laughs> so with that, um, I grew up with a strong Catholic foundation. I went to Catholic school in elementary in, and in high school and received all the sacraments I could, including my first communion in second grade. As I got older, I still believed in God and was Catholic. My only basis for that was the fact that my parents were, and it was what I grew up with. I just went through the motions, and even though I did understand the major beliefs of our Catholic faith, I didn't fully share them. Specifically, I questioned and at times straight up dismissed Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. I knew the church's teaching because of my education and upbringing, but I remember asking myself, how could this really be Christ? The host tastes like plain bread, and the blood tastes like bitter wine. I would be respectful when receiving, but was usually worried about how I looked walking up, or I was worried about something I was going to do after Mass. Essentially, I only saw it as a symbol of Christ rather than his true presence. And in today's church, many Catholics are in a similar place that I was. In 2019, Pew Research Center released a study that almost 70% of Catholics believe that the Eucharist is not actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and the Eucharist are just symbols of Christ. So according to this study, the majority of Catholics don't believe in transubstantiation, which is the transformation of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. This is a cornerstone of our Catholic faith. The Catholic Church teaches in the Catechism that the Eucharist is the, quote, source and summit of Christian life, yet so many practicing Catholics don't believe. Why are so many Catholics missing this piece? Is it a lack of understanding, lack of inspiration, or just loss of interest? So today, I want to explain why, why Catholics hold to what many may see as a radical belief in Christ's presence in the Eucharist, and then demonstrate what we should do about it. So to begin, we can look in the Old Testament. Um, to begin, we can look at the Old Testament. I know, Old Testament. Christ was not even in the Old Testament, so why would I start here? I just want to demonstrate ways that God, shows, that God shows himself in so many ways throughout the Bible as he seeks this relationship with creation that was made in his image. He does this in simple and almost human ways, such as through bread in the Eucharist, the wind, or through fire. For example, in 1 Kings 19.12-13, God visited Elijah at Oreb through a calming wind, it says, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God visited Elijah through something as simple as wind. 
God uses earthly objects or happenings to show himself to us in ways that we can see or hear. It is a simple yet beautiful way that God attempts to, quote, get on our level, in a sense, and meet us where we are in our imperfect humanity. Now we can transition to the New Testament, where we can look at direct examples from Scripture that talk about the Eucharist. The first place we can look for teachings about the Eucharist is in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The first verses we'll look at is 48 to 51, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Now in response, many of his followers quarreled among themselves and wondered, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So based on that response of those in the crowd, was Christ speaking literally or figuratively? Literally, right? Because only a literal interpretation would warrant this concern of Christ's followers. And in response to this, Jesus doubled down and said in John's gospel, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Amen, amen, I say to you. In other words, so it be. Jesus had a very clear opportunity to go back on that and make it clear he was speaking symbolically, but he only solidified and reiterated what he said before. This story is fully realized at the Last Supper later in John's Gospel, and many of those who were following him that day decided to leave him directly after hearing this, quote, difficult teaching. This is the only time people who were following Jesus left him for one of his teachings. I repeat, the only time Jesus' followers leave him over one of his teachings, and it was on the Eucharist. It's ironic that it was Christ's teaching on the Eucharist, which is an issue that divides many Christians today. I was in a similar place to some of those followers earlier in my faith journey. After hearing the original story I told you at the beginning of this talk of the young girl in one of Father Mike Schmidt's YouTube talks, I began attending adoration earlier this past year but I still wasn't totally sure that Christ was present in the Eucharist. I felt something special there, so I continued to go, and while I attempted to stay focused on Christ in prayer. Through this, my faith continued to develop, but I wondered if this could really be Jesus. And the major turning point for me was last summer. I attended Mass while visiting Ashley in Lake Tahoe, and I remember walking into Mass, and as it began, I realized the beauty of it all how the Mass was so beautifully preparing us to receive Christ, not just a symbol of Christ, but Christ himself. Something had changed within my heart. I remember walking up to receive the Eucharist and feeling almost nervous because I was about to receive Jesus Christ in the flesh. And I felt a sense of gratitude for this gift and for the amazing love God has shown through it. Now God led me through this conversion process over several months, and it changed my life. (laughs) Um, So prior to this, I didn't really fully appreciate the Mass and this Eucharistic feast within it. So I was a little bit like that guy in there. Um, 
And so general complaints I had and many ones I heard had about general complaints about the mass were I don't like the preaching, the music isn't very good, or I don't feel a sense of community there in general. A common one is I really don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. And it's easy to think these things and think, well, I should go to a church where I feel better, where the music is good, where I love the preaching, and where there's a great community with so many great events. These are all good things that help us in our relationship with Christ. I'm not saying they aren't. But by focusing solely on these things, we are missing the point. So what distracts us? What distracts us from the true purpose of the Mass? The point of the Mass is to share in this Eucharistic feast. The truth is this. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He sent his only son to die the most painful death so that one day we can spend eternity with him. With that, Christ instituted the Eucharist so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. And through this encounter with Christ, we become more like him. So without the Eucharist, we are missing, quote, the source and summit of Christian life because we are missing Christ himself. So the reality is, to quote Father Mike Schmitz, if we don't want the Eucharist, then we don't want Jesus. Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. So if we truly love him, then we should do everything in our power to receive him and be with him as much as possible. If Jesus walked into this room right now, how would we act? we would treat him with all the love, respect, reverence, and focus we could offer. We are called to act the same way in the presence of the Eucharist. So what are tangible ways we can begin to act this way and become more like Christ? Matthew Kelly, a prominent Catholic speaker, writes about the Mass in his book, Rediscovering Catholicism. He speaks more specifically about each piece to the Mass and how we can engage ourselves in a relationship with Christ through these parts. And he focuses his writing especially on the liturgy of the Eucharist. And we'll go through each part together, beginning with the Eucharistic prayer. The word Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. During this prayer, we come together as a community to offer the sacrificial offering. For example, the priest might say, Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you. This signifies all of the baptized present at the Mass to offer up this sacrificial offering in order for union with Christ. And throughout this prayer, Christ writes about the priest inviting us to lift our hearts up to the Lord. We are offering ourselves up to the Lord and allowing him to transform us as he will transform the bread and wine. Our imperfect offering, joined with the offering of Christ, becomes the perfect praise and thanksgiving to the Father. So this prayer is a perfect opportunity for us to give everything to our Lord and to grow in our relationship with him. The next piece he talks about is the consecration itself. Leading up to this, the priest delivers the narrative of the Last Supper when Christ first instituted the Eucharist. And this reminds us of the connections between the Mass and what Christ did over 2,000 years ago at the Last Supper and at his crucifixion. The consecration happens when the priest recites Christ's words, This is my body, which is given up for you, This is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Do this in memory of me. This is the moment when the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. 
During this time, we can simply sit in the presence of God. And in the book, Kelly suggests we imagine ourselves with Christ at the Last Supper. And as the priest raises the host and the chalice, we can simply say, My Lord, my God, from the depths of our heart. This mystery is difficult to understand, but if we open ourselves up to it and approach Christ with reverence and humility, then God will grant us a deeper understanding and appreciation for these mysteries. And that is, and I am a prime example of that. Now, it is time for communion when we get to receive the body and blood of Christ as a community as we share in the Eucharistic meal. As we are invited to come up, it is important to be mindful of what is taking place in the gift God has given us. And Kelly, in, Kelly invites us to pray this prayer repeatedly to, ourse- to, to prepare ourselves. I wish, my Lord, to receive you as generously as your Holy Mother Mary did. This is a simple way that we can keep ourselves engaged and prepare ourselves to receive Christ, similar to how our Holy Mother Mary did. So, in conclusion, God demonstrates his desire to have a relationship with us throughout Scripture. And the pinnacle of this is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Christ then instituted the gift of the Eucharist, fully present in it, to have these deep and intimate relationships with us. And in addition to this relationship, the fruits of the Eucharist are, as St. Augustine put it, Behold who you are, become what you receive. Through the Eucharist, we can become more Christ-like and be the light of Christ in the world. The true mystery of the Eucharist is the conversion God invites us into through the Eucharist. And that's what this is all about, is that through the Eucharist, we can become more like Christ and further his mission within the world. So if you remember anything from this talk, it is this, become what you receive. And by receiving the Eucharist, we are becoming more like Christ. Thank you. So if you guys have any comments, questions, um, or anything, feel free. Or you can just sit in silence and think. I have no clue the stat was that high. Yeah, that was 2019. Yeah. I think that's 70% self-described, but then like mass yeah. going, it was like 60%. So yeah. it was still very high for mass going Catholics. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you look on Peer Research Center, there's like a breakdown. Yeah, if you look in the article. What do you think, like, contributes most to, I mean, like, maybe in your experience, like, what what would contribute to, like, a lack of faith in the Eucharist? Hmm. I would say, in my experience, I didn't really know the basis for it. Um, like, the biblical support yeah. and, um, like, the true beauty of it. Like, we were taught it, but not, um, I never was taught how to defend it. So, like, when I was younger, it was like, okay, my parents told me to believe this. But then, as I got older, like, once it, I had to take it on myself, then it was like, how, well, if I can't defend it, then how can I believe it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think education through knowing how to defend it would help a lot. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's where, at least in my experience, that's where um, the lack of belief came from. Yes, I did. Um, I don't remember the exact ones, but I remember um, I did come across some Eucharistic miracles. And that was just like, that just solidified <laughs> everything that I um, 
that I had come to believe about the Eucharist, um, but would highly recommend to do some research into that if you're interested. Um, There's so. a movie being made by like some oh, Hollywood yeah. producer who's Catholic. What's it called? The Eucharistic Miracle. Movie. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> go watch that. <laughs> Comments. I really like that last quote I hadn't heard before. Yeah, uh, it was actually, I was looking for a way to close for a while and I couldn't figure out how I was going to close the talk. And then I found that quote and I was like, this is, this is exactly what I needed. So, yeah, St. Augustine to the rescue. <laughs> What role would you say in your, um, like when you talk about your personal conversion, like we mentioned, what role has, has it played? Like, have you ever engaged in conversation? It could be with Catholics who don't believe as much, or it could be with just like also just Protestants, people in other Christian denominations, or people who are completely like atheists, like engaging with those people. Have you ever been in situations where you're talking about the Eucharist? Like, what does that look like for you? If so, with people outside the faith? Yeah, exactly. Um, or it could be people in the faith, faith who are just like, just in that category where they're like, symbolic to be honest i haven't had a lot of opportunity to defend this belief because i think also to be honest like a a good portion of my faith journey was had the lack of um but i think um yeah more more of my conversations have been more general with people outside the faith um i think in men's group we did have a conversation about it um we had a, someone from uh, of Protestant faith who came in, um, and we had a good discussion on the Eucharist, and we talked a lot about John 6. Um, but yeah, I, John 6 is definitely um, a very good um, place to go if you're looking for uh, Eucharistic apologetics. Well, if that's it, then thank you guys. I appreciate it. <laughs>